So we finish up Jude today. I know you're all disappointed. The uh, It's not a hard book to understand. It's a hard book to hear sometimes. Uh, harsh in some ways, certainly to those who weren't following. Uh, we'll look into that. Just to let you know, I guess it's kind of a commercial message, but uh, we're going to start a Heaven series next week, which we did that a long time ago. This one's a little bit different. Um, I think we got uh, 22 weeks on that one. So get your thinking caps. I think it'll be kind of fun. Not that Jude hasn't been fun. I know that's why we're here is to have fun. But uh, I think it'll be hopefully helpful to you, especially as we look at our lives. No matter if you're younger or older, it's always nice to have a good grasp of what we had to look forward to. And there's a lot more in there about it than we sometimes uh, know. So we'll look into that. But back to Jude, we've looked at the last three weeks. And what he's doing is he's writing to combat false teachers. That's, that's why sometimes it's a little dry, I realize that, but it, it does give us some good direction because that main verse in verse 3 is that we're supposed to contend for the faith once for all delivered to God's people, which, it, you know, and we talked about how logically you can't defend something against something that's false if you don't know what is true. Uh, so it implies that there's a truth we can know, and that flies into the face of the relativism of today. There's a lot of that um, as long as you're sincere, then it's okay. And um, I can sincerely think I can jump off the roof and be okay. It's going to hurt just as bad whether I sincerely believe it or not. And so you try to find the truth. Um, so we're counting on this um, as being revealed by God to his church, you know, what we call the New Testament for the New Covenant, and obviously the Old Testament for the Actually, should be plural, shouldn't it? Because the Old Testaments or Old Covenants, because there's more than one. And our our uh, verses that we used was from Second Timothy, uh, and I use the NLT here because I don't know. We've got people have asked about Bibles. We we use two main translations, but there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, there, uh, we use the ESV, which I'm looking out there and I can see out the window. But uh, that's, there's a white with kind of an orangish red. Uh, pieces to it. It's an ESV study Bible. We try to give study Bibles because they give you some context of things. Um, the ESV is kind of a word-for-word -word translation. It's very good, very well done, good committee that did it, good scholars. Um, the NLT is more of a phrase-by-phrase, -phrase, and it just kind of gives you a little bit different perspective on things. It's easy, a little bit easier to read. Like, I don't know, I think I told you that, like this morning I got up and read through Jude. And of course, that didn't take very long. When you're preaching through uh, Leviticus, it takes a little longer. Um, but, uh, I mean, in reading it in the NLT is just kind of like free form. So I kind of like doing that. That's what I've been doing for years. But, but this is the verse you probably know, or we've used it, but this is in the NLT. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, which is what we were just talking about, uh -huh. and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Hmm. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I, I like that line. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, you probably hear all scripture is God-breathed, but inspiration. It's special. It's something different. We make cases for that uh, in Bible studies. It's been odd. The la I'm trying to think, how many Bible studies do I do? Four, five, eight, I don't know, five? Uh, the last month, that question, how do we know what we 
that we have what we need from the Bible came up. Um, and then we hit that in a sermon, too. So if you have any questions about that, let me know. We, we have good reason to believe what we have is true, including the book of Jude. But it's what is it to do? It's to help us be better followers of Jesus is really what it's for. The second thing he does is he, he teaches against these false teachers and prophets and then goes into some punishments. You know, he goes into the, go back to Exodus and, and, and the fact that some didn't follow and they got punished. And then you go to the angels, some of those didn't follow and they got punished. And Sodom, Cain, Balaam, Korah, some really good uh, New Testament, or excuse me, Old Testament examples of people getting punished for not repenting and not following Yahweh. And then last week we hit that there have been predictions among Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles that false teachers are going to come. That's going to be something we have to deal with. And their core problem, as we got through all that, was they did not have God's Spirit in them. That is key. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but that is something we have to see that in them is the, what does it mean? Well, the Holy Spirit should make us be like Jesus. So if we're acting like Jesus, the spirit of in us, and if we're not, either he's not there or we're not listening. Um, so now we get to our final text. This is the last six verses, starting in verse 20. You should be in the right chapter. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You know what amen means? It, we, it's not like I'm done, you can look up, uh, which we sometimes think. It's amen means and so it is. This is true. In the Bible, in the old King James, it was verily, verily, I say unto you. And then sometimes you get truly, truly. That's amen, amen. This is true, this is true. You know, that's, that's what it means. So when we say amen, it's not just I'm done, although it does help, because now you can know you can start going through the line, right? And eating, or eating your food, or whatever it is you do when you get done praying. Um, but it isn't just an ending. Um, it's, it's the idea of the, what I have said is true. May God bless this. Um, so I think, again, we use that word, and that's fine. Uh, but most of the time in the Bible, when there's a prayer, there's, it doesn't end with amen. Kind of interesting. How did they know? How do you know when they're done? They put their hands down. You know, they lifted, usually you lifted your hands up when you prayed as a Jew. You get that in the Bible. You can see that in a couple of the parables. And then, so what am I done? It's like if you're kind of just kind of half listening, it's like, okay, they're done. Yeah, that's uh, hopefully not that way. But so what is this teaching us here? It's teaching us Four different things, which is what we're going to look at today. To build yourself up in your most holy faith. To pray in the Holy Spirit. To keep yourselves in the love of God. And to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And it's pretty cool stuff. So as we look at these, to build yourself up in most holy faith means to grow spiritually. And that word, you got to define that word. 
Um, I know one thing I've heard people say when they're marking kind of what their faith is, and they'll, they'll say, uh, spiritual but not religious. That's a new phrase out there. Um, like, doesn't that, doesn't that connote that religious is bad? Um, you know, people, I'm not religious. It's like, well, it kind of depends on how you define religious, right? Uh, if religious means uh, looking down your nose at other people, following rules, and judging everybody's actions because you think you're better than them, then I'm, I hope I'm not either. But if religious means following a deity because you think he's real, well, then I'm, I guess I'm religious. So, and spiritual, kind of cool. You could be both, you know. But spiritual, what does it mean? Spiritual things, the spirit. God is spirit. That's the idea. And fundamental to this growth, we see this implied all the way through Jude, but all the way through the New Testament, is to learn as much as possible of the truth of Scripture and to set one's life to believe and obey it. Back to 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And, you know, we hit this, pastors do this a lot. You know, I don't know if we're just arrogant, maybe. Uh, like it when lots of people come to our Bible studies, maybe. Uh, but this isn't really rocket science, people. We just read that all scripture was breathed out by God, inspired, right? Well, if, this, if we really believe this is God speaking to us and revealing himself, shouldn't we want to know it? And I hope when I preach that what I say lines up with what God wants, but I hope you're checking it. Because what's this whole book about? False teachers. How would you know if something I said was false? I got the mic, so I must be right, you know. I read it on the internet, you know, whatever you, and just because the source, I mean, hopefully it's good, but it's the idea that's the standard. Not all sermons are God-breathed. That's, they should bring out those words and spirit that is, but again, how do we know this? Because really, you think about it, what, why did God have all these guys write all this stuff down for just a select few to tell you what it means? We could do that. I think I read in there somewhere that the, most pastors are supposed to have a jacuzzi in their office. I don't know what's going on, but I go in there, ain't no jacuzzi in there. There's a fish tank, but I'm not getting in that. And if you don't know it, it's like, well, yeah, the pastor says there's supposed to be a jacuzzi. It's like, well, let's get another tree out there, and you can get a little jacuzzi sticker and give some money toward the pastor jacuzzi fund. But see, I mean, again, how do you know it's not true if you don't read it? You know, it's the same thing, and that's when we get duped. Why do people follow false teachers? Because they don't know the truth. And whose fault is that? You know, hopefully you get something out of the sermons and you get, but ultimately we're the one called, what do you go to the Bible for? Why was the Bible written? I mean, it's not hard to know God. It's the primary way we know him. And you can say, I don't like it. And I'm like, well, take it up with him. How much would we know about Jesus if we didn't have the Bible? We would have known he existed. We would have known he got killed and he had a following. But that's about it. So again, if it makes you feel guilty, that's really your problem, not mine. <laughs> you know, I think if it makes you feel guilty, maybe it's because, you know what, I probably could do a little bit better job of this. You know? That's, again, what do you do about it? You know? 
And whether you do it in corporate Bible study where we come together or you do it on your own, that's really up to you. Uh, but I think iron sharpens iron. When we get in these Bible studies, the hope is we find things out from each other, uh, not just one person telling you. I mean, I can give uh, you the truth and, and what's there, but we want to go deeper. You know, it's, it's, if you think about it, it's a relationship. Do you want to you know, do that with other people? It's like, well, you know, I'm done playing with you now. Uh, I've talked to you for a while, and I'm going to go do my own thing. And that's kind of what we do with God. There was an old song. I'm trying to think who sung that. It was kind of a slower song back when, you know, contemporary Christian music was just kind of hitting in the 80s and mid-80s, late 80s, and Michael W. Smith and the Amy Grants, and some of you are like, oh, I know them, and other people are like, got to Google that. But there was a song, I can't remember, the, but it was called I Miss My Time With You. I thought that was really, what's really good was about, you know, I, I really miss, you used to spend time in my word and get to know me, and I miss, I miss that. I miss that time with you, you know. So I think if you get opportunities, take them. You know, we, you know, we, I can, what is the, some elders in here, what are we charging per Bible study at this point? It's still free. <sighs> Maybe we need to charge more. Would that get more or less people? I don't know. You know, you go into a grocery or a department store or something, and you see something free, you think, well, there must be something wrong with it. Maybe we should charge for it, you know. We're not, you know. We're Grace E. Free, not Grace E. Ten bucks a head. Uh, so, yeah. So that's, that's really what it means to grow spiritually, is to get closer to God. That's it. It's not magic. It's, 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 it can be very, more than just, you know, temporal, it can be eternal and all that's really good stuff. But the next one is praying in the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes this phrase is taken maybe out of context. It's not necessarily referring to speaking in another language. Um, in fact, that phrase isn't normally used for that, although it does happen in the New Testament. Uh, but it refers to praying under the direction and influence of the Spirit, trusting Him to guide and intercede for us. You get this overtly in Romans 8, and I think if you've been here, you understand this. Um, and most of us, if we're thinking about it, we've been here. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Um, there's, I just think that means there's a spiritual connection there. You know, sometimes you just... You feel God, you, you just, because there are things we don't need to know to pray for. Back before we built this building, remember, we were, we prayed. I remember we were, at, we were at a meeting and they said, well, we need to pray about it. And of course, me being the pastor and also a smart aleck said, how are you going to pray? It's a good question, isn't it? Would it have been evil for us to not build this building? And some, you might, was it evil to build it? You know, it's hard, hard to know those. It's not a moral issue, really. So do we pray for God to tell us the answer? Well, we can do that. What if he doesn't? How do we figure this out? Well, you flip a coin. That's what we, no, we didn't do that, actually. <laughs> you try to use wisdom. But again, sometimes that's kind of benign, whether you have a building or not. I mean, it's important. I like our building. But, but when you're really trying to figure something important out, um, and trying to pray or trying to work through some suffering and stuff, sometimes you don't even know what to say. And that spirit within us kind of just, I don't know, if it's emotional or if it's intellectual or both, and it's kind of like, well, here, let, let me see if I can give you some, uh, in, some information or knowledge about what I'm thinking without using words. 
I'm kind of comfortable now. I didn't have to really say that, did I? The sigh does it, you know. Or you can go, <sighs> that's a groaning. That's a different groan, isn't it? That's what you get when you're a Bears fan. It's like, oh. another coach still in work. No, actually we won our first game, but that's another discussion. But I think when you look at this, that's, that's the idea. The Holy Spirit does that for us. These false teachers we found out last week, they don't, they're not influenced by the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. They don't get this stuff. But again, why did I have the children's sermon I had? I think it's very similar. Like praying in Jesus' name, praying in the Spirit is about praying the things that the Holy Spirit would approve of and be honored by. And you know the Holy Spirit is primarily pointing you to Jesus. Would Jesus fist bump you after that prayer? Or did he say, what? You know, that's, you think about that, you, you know, the armor of God, which is a great metaphor. I love that, you know, that you got all this stuff you put on. It's Roman armor, which is cool. Uh, put on salvation as your helmet and the sword of the Spirit. Sword of the What? The Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is our primary and only really offensive weapon in the spiritual battle? All the rest of these are defensive. You know, you don't want to get knocked on the head. You've got the breastplate of righteousness, so the, you know, you even got feet apiece on there. You've got all these things, but there's one offensive weapon, and that's the Word. And you see this so clearly in Jesus. When He was tempted in the wilderness, what did He use? Turn these stones into bread. What does he say? No. Well, he did say that, but he said, it is written. All three times, it is written. All from Deuteronomy, which is interesting. But, so pray in the Spirit. There's that, there's that phrase. At all times and on every occasion. So if this means some sort of esoteric cotton, it's like you're going to be floating around your whole life. I wouldn't do that. But, Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Well, that so that's part of praying in the Spirit, right? And be persistent in your prayers. For who? For yourself? Well, maybe, but for all believers everywhere. That's what praying in the Spirit is. And that is a prayer that you'll get fist bumped, not only by Jesus, but the Holy Spirit. And I do not know how that works, because if, if the, you try to fist bump the Spirit, you just kind of go right through him, because he's... You know, that's, that was, I thought that was funnier than you guys did. But anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> God is spirit. You know, but that's the idea. Praying in Jesus' name and praying in the spirit really aren't that much different. Uh, it's both and, not, not either or there. So like walking in the spirit, the key is obedience. That's what walking in the spirit means. It doesn't mean floating around the room, um, which... And try if you want, but that's not the point. It's about obedience and guidance from the Holy Spirit. So keep oneself in God's love is also about being faithful and obedient to Him. How do you love God? Obe obedience is the key to loving God. We see that in Jesus' words. We see it in John's letter. And you, you look at this. What does Jesus say? When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. So it's different than other relationships. Um, I guess when you get married, I don't know if they, you know, there's different types of, of vows, people, but there used to be love, honor, and obey, you know, that type of stuff. But I don't think that's the way a relationship with other people is the main thing, is obedience, but it is with God. 
Because I don't know if you've noticed, you're not God. You know, even more overtly, Jesus says in John 14, still in the upper room, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So that's, it's so easy to show that we love God. Now, it doesn't mean if you screw up, you hate him. But it does mean if you screw up, you should feel guilty. And guess who convicts you of your guilt? The Holy Spirit. It's almost like God knew what he was doing here. 1 John 3, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. And it's about obedience. And again, people say, well, then you have to do everything right. That's not what it says. If if you could do everything right, you wouldn't have needed a cross. You wouldn't have needed a sacrificial system. We know we don't always do everything right. Well, at the end of the sermon, we'll wrap that up, I hope, because it's at the end of the letter. But again, when you mess up, what is your response? Is it like, well, God saved me, I don't really care. Or, I'm sorry, Lord, we can do better. You know, I hope it's the second one. <laughs> you know, it's not, because we're not saved because of our obedience. We're obedient because we're saved. It's pretty good. Somebody should be writing this down. But anyway. <laughs> and then it goes to other people. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. because So it comes from the love of, of the Father. And then isn't that, well, you know, it's the two greatest commandments. You know, it's something to remember. And then lastly, to wait for the mercy of our Lord. Oh, I'm not very good at waiting. Maybe tables either, but I'm not very good at just waiting. Um, I know I've read that. It says that so clearly that the fruit of the Spirit, and you know what the first one is? Come on, hurry up, I can't wait. It's patience. Oh, come on. Can you put that last? And it's like patience is, is hard for some people. Uh, it's definitely hard for me. Uh, I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, but uh, I think I've said this before, and this is really funny, so you're going to have to laugh. Um, <laughs> I don't mind being patient. I just wish it would hurry up. You know, that's kind of the problem. But, but what is he talking? Waiting for the Lord waiting for the mercy of our Lord to bring eternal life. It probably refers to the second coming. We, we wait, you get Titus, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We had this when we went through the hope series, you know, the idea, this is the hope. Nobody can take this away from you. They can do anything they want. They can kill the body. They can mess up everything. They can't take this away because this is coming. And it's going to happen. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure when. But I'm being awful patient waiting, right? So waiting in hope fills all of life with expectancy uh, and the desire to do that Jesus, what Jesus expects of us. And that's the idea. So we will have no shame when he returns. Wouldn't it be cool? And I'm not, don't, don't quote me because I'll be a false prophet. But wouldn't it be cool if you were in worship when he showed up? And awake. You know, both. But even, I think you still get the point if you're not. I mean, I really think that works. But, but, I, but I think about, wouldn't it be nice if we weren't doing something sinful when he showed up? That would be nice. The, yeah. So work on that, you know. I don't know, if that makes, I don't know if that makes me feel good or scared. 
But, uh, but he's already with us, right? I mean, it's not like we're deceiving him as we try to, well, I'm going to go do this and I'll do this because when Jesus comes back, he might see it, but he won't see it now. I think he sees it now. Believers receive his mercy either at the second coming or your death. Most people will get the second one. No, I, I'm not, I was going to say show of hands, but, you know, rhetorical question. Do you think, and you got different ages in here. Uh, how old are you now? 15, okay. I was trying because most of the kids are gone, so there's younger ones in here. I mean, I don't know. Do you think that you'll, when you, if you're a believer, that you're going to receive this mercy, this, 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 you know, eternal life uh, place at your death or the second coming? It kind of makes you think about the second coming a little bit. Um, I'll just make a very strong statement that I have no idea. Uh, but most of us will. Um, math geek, so I look at that. I used to be an actuary, and I looked it up. 111 billion people have lived on the earth, as far as we know, since Adam and Eve got created. And about 8 billion live right now, right? So how many have died? Didn't know it would be math. Anybody want to try that? <laughs> Approximately 103 billion, if I'm remembering right. So have there been more that have died or are waiting? You know, if it happened today, more people would have died in the Lord than, does that make sense? So, but what, what, what am I getting at? Most of us, when we've got family and friends that have done that, who are believers, died, well, they, they get the mercy. They got the grace. It's already there. They're in a place of, they're with God. You know, and they don't have to deal with all this stuff that we have to deal with. And that's something to be kind of happy about, isn't it? But the second coming is another option. There's going to be some. You can read Revelation 20 if you want more information. So those are the four things he tells us to do. And it's really not that hard. It's what we were already talking about. But it's, it's important. Be in the Word. Try to live a life that loves God. You know, be, let the Spirit help you. And there's nothing wrong with, before you read the Bible, just saying, Lord, help me understand this the way you want me to. Help it touch my life the way you want it to. It's a living word. And then Jude kind of ends up with uh, three groups of people. How do we deal with these three groups of people? The first one, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Less mature Christians, I think, is what he's talking about there. You know, might begin to doubt their walk with the Lord because of smooth and convincing false teachers is probably the, the idea. You know, the itching ears, you know. Would we, you think we'd fill this place if we got people convinced if they came in, into our worship that they, that they would be successful and never get sick? I think we'd get more people. And you might. <laughs> be successful and never get, that's really up to God, I guess. Uh, but, the, but the idea is that you tell, sometimes you tell them the truth and people don't like to hear the truth. What did they do to our leader? I mean, Jesus came and told the good news, so everybody's like, well, this is really cool. We'll just follow him. We have no qualms with this guy. I mean, you don't, you know, we do that sometimes with Jesus, don't we? We kind of say, well, he's like Mr. Rogers. You know, he's just a nice guy. Usually he had a lamb he was petting, you know, which is, maybe he did. I don't know. But then you really look at the real Jesus, and he seems more ticked off sometimes than we, we give him credit for. Uh, 
I mean, you don't kill Mr. Rogers on a cross, but you shouldn't. He said some things that people didn't like. He got in people's faces when they thought that they had the truth and he didn't. Um, now, that doesn't mean we need to get in people's faces. I mean, we've had that First Peter 3.15 through the hope series. You know, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Back And people can say, well, Jesus got in their face, and what can you say to that? You're not Jesus. Jesus got angry. He's much better at handling his anger than I am. Jesus got angry. God gets angry at sin. You know, we get angry at a lot of different things. It's always righteous anger. But again, back to this doubt. Is it okay to doubt? One thing I always hope, if you think about coming to a Bible study, and don't give me this baloney that I don't know the Bible that well, so I won't come to a Bible study. That doesn't make any sense, Right? It's kind of like saying, I want to be an engineer, but I'm not going to go to engineering school because I don't know anything about engineering. I'm like, well, that's why you go to the school, don't you? Same thing with this. But I hope that you come with your questions, no matter how old you are. Ask questions. I don't know it all. God does. We'll, we'll try to figure it out together, you know? What good is it if you're doubting or if you're struggling with your faith, keeping it to yourself? You can lie. Oh, I'm fine. We all do that. That's what, especially younger kids, 15-year-olds always do this. Sorry. <laughs> How'd your week go? And what do they say? That's oh, fine. And you either get, oh, it's fine, or, oh, it's fine. Yeah, that's about it. You don't get, oh, it's fine. You know, you don't get that much. It's just hard to get, get it. but again, you've got to have a relationship with them for they're going to say, oh, man, I had a struggle on Tuesday. You know, we don't say that, right? You know, when you ask for prayer requests, what usually is it? health concerns, and which is fine. Let's pray about it. But you usually don't hear people say, I'm really struggling my faith right now. We don't want people to know. But back to that, again, what are we supposed to give them mercy? You know, if you come here and you're like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this, well, that's what we're here for. If you can't ask questions, then why, how are you going to get answers? You know, and it could be questions about theology or doctrine, but it could be just, I don't know, I don't see God working in this part of my life right now. And I don't know what to even pray about. You know, well, that's the kind of things we want to help with, you know, because we've all been there, right? If we're honest. And so, it may, you might not be doubting your salvation, but you're doubting how to deal with it. So, a more mature believer needs to be merciful to them. Hey, we're here to help you. Because, you know, a lot of times you think I look around and there's a lot of stuff people have gone through in their life. And I don't know why it happens all the time, but you know, God can use that. There might be somebody going through some stuff and you can say, you know what, I, I know how you feel. Because I've been there. And I think you can say, I still don't like it, but hey, God gets us on the other end. I think you want that. That's that. Mercy. Give some Mercy. This mercy forgives the false steps of new believers and, you know, tries to guide them to build them up in their own faith and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling people, get, you know, get into the Word. God will work through that. Pray, love, hope, all these things. These are things God has given us because He loves us. So that's the first group. The second group is others. I think it refers to non-believers who do not doubt their faith. They have anything to doubt. They're non-believers. But who might be warned of the coming judgment. Jesus did this a lot. Do not be concerned or fearful of those who can kill the body, 
but be afraid of the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. That's Jesus. That's red letter. I mean, he got in their face when they needed it. But even these, if they repent, will be snatched from the fire of hell. You know, Jesus, again, the people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. That's what we have to ask people to do. You've got a problem. Then they'll look for a solution. And then these others, he talks about that they're godless people whose lives have these stained garments. Perhaps this is a figure that the depravity has made it infectious. This stained garment might have something to do with leprosy. I'm not quite sure. But Christians are to show mercy in the first case because this is people who are trying to do the right thing, but they're doubting. But here, they're, it's probably the false teachers that he's talking about and the people who follow him. Don't let that spread is kind of what he's saying. But even here, God's grace can cover this stuff. You see this in Revelation 3. You have this church in Sardis, and Jesus is Jesus. You know, Revelation 2 and 3 is kind of cool, these seven letters to the churches. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of my book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. That's cool. So whether you die as a believer or the second coming, if you're a believer, you get this. You know, this is kind of a theological metaphor, but the Father could say, you've committed a lot of sins. And I'll, Brian, <laughs> I won't go to the 15-year-old there. <laughs> you've, and he's, I'm like, yeah, you're right, I did. But who stands up for me? Who confesses my name? Because I confessed his name. This is the cool part. You've got the advocate in Jesus. It's like, yes, Father, but he follows me. Come, enter into the, I mean, this is really cool stuff, and it? that's what Jesus does for us. So, so finally, this doxology, which it's a, it's a long one. It's, it's lofty. It's cool. It begins with these comforting af- affirmations that God is able to keep you from falling away if we just grab onto him. I think, I don't know if you've done this metaphor, but you know, sometimes we think that God is reaching down and then we grab. And that's kind of true, but what happens if we let go? But I've seen it better that we reach up and then he grabs us here. So when we let go, he's able to still, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I like that one better. The, uh, the idea that God does that. So we should have joy as Christ presents us as blameless. And we've had this before. If you've been in this church for any years, blame, you should see yourself as if you're a believer, why should I see myself as blameless? Because Jesus does. And we have it all over the place. In fact, way back in the old covenant, you shall be blameless before Yahweh. Well, how can I be blameless? I can't follow these rules because blameless doesn't come from rule following. It comes from grace. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. It doesn't mean you do everything perfect. It means that the things that you do that aren't right and are sinful are covered if you confess because you have an advocate. It's kind of cool. 
It's not a cocky blameless. It's a, I've got Jesus blameless. That's what you're looking at. And Colossians 1, Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and of rub reproach before him. So he can look at the Father, and as I, we've said before, it's like he may try to look at your sin, but the Father can't see it because Jesus is standing in the way, and he sees his righteousness. That's kind of the book of Romans if you want to read it. So, yes, blameless, but not because we're special, but because Jesus is, and we've grabbed onto that. So this false teachers and false doctrine and false, and all these fears of failure cannot make us fall because Jesus is present us before his glorious presence without fault, the blameless lamb, the unspotted lamb, perfect living sacrifice because of the way the Father looks at us because of faith in the grace. So final judgment should provide no fear for us. That's the other one to think about. When the second coming, if the second coming was going to come today, are you happy about that? If you're like, well, I don't really know, well, let's talk about it. Because um, it should be a glorious time for those who believe. God will be our representative. His saving work in Jesus will speak for us. We don't have to defend ourselves because we couldn't. <laughs> That's why, again, I still think we did a pretty good job with the name of the church. You know, It is all about grace. So Jude, summing it up, the main themes is certainly the punishment of people who will not believe, but always with mercy, defend the faith against false teachers, strengthen yourselves, be merciful to those who are weak, have hope and joy that Jesus will present you blameless before the Father giving you eternal life. There's no other better thing than that. And if you have that, nobody can take it away from you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. Uh, Hopefully we've done it justice, but I pray for each one here that they realize that uh, if they believe in your son and grab on to the grace that they are seen by you as blameless and part of the family. We even get to call you father, not because we've done everything perfect, but because we've grabbed onto the grace. And may each one of us want to live that way. May we want to be in your word. May we want to be obedient to you love. May we want to pray with things that honor your Son and and the Spirit. May we be merciful to others because you've been merciful to us. May we try to live a life worthy of the calling by your power. Amen.